0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn more about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. This week on Meetin 3, we
2: look at how we've adapted to a new normal during the pandemic. From the business of restauranteering and the new habits of composters to learning from the past to prepare for the future, we're exploring what came before and what lies ahead.
0: People in charge of the collections and the acquisitions looked at me and were like, what the hell are you trying to sell me cookery for?
1: These kids are so young and we're teaching them that it's okay to throw out all this food and we have to figure out a way to educate these students to make them you know, lifelong environmentalists.
2: Tune in to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts for the latest stories in the world of food.
3: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. This is the 256th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an incredible chef, nutritionist, and restaurateur, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to not put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Don't delay in taking action and making moves. Instead, just do it, as Nike says. Have no regrets for a lack of effort but rather go after what you want and believe in. There's an expression by Bill Keen that says, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift, which is why we call it the present. So let's remember this and make the most of the time that we have now. That's my tip today. Now, I am super excited to have my guest with me. It is Marissa Lippert. She is a New York-based chef nutritionist, restaurateur, and writer whose work creates a cohesive sense of connectedness to vibrant food and wellness in order to nurture, inform, and inspire. Marissa is the founder of beloved West Village Cafe and catering company Nourish Kitchen and Table and Nourish Baby. She holds a master's degree in nutrition from NYU and has consulted with Clients and brands on intuitive eating and cognitive behavior therapy. So, welcome to the show. Hi, Marissa.
2: Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me.
3: Well, thanks for joining me. Um, I wish we could be in person together, but you know,
2: this soon is for
3: sure. Soon for sure. Yeah, but this this is great to connect this way and hear your voice for sure. Yeah. So. Um, I always like to start out my show with my guests and find out a bit about their background and where you grew up and just what led you into the hospitality industry and with food and nutrition specifically for you.
2: Yeah. Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia, um, right outside of DC. Um, my Both of my parents though have, have roots in New York. My dad grew up in the Bronx. Um my mom's parents both were born in Brooklyn or sorry, they grew up in Brooklyn. Um, uh, What led me into hospitality and food? Um, Just a a natural love that I've had for as long as I can remember. Um, I have a very distinct memory that sometimes I retell of me um, sitting on my parents' kitchen floor when I was like, I don't know, three years old, maybe. And every weekend, when they would get the paper and the um, the coupon sections with all the photos of food, I would always like sit and sprawl across the floor with all these images of food. And my mom, um, I was very lucky. My mom had a very extensive cookbook collection and like all these amazing old uh, old issues of, of Bon Appetit and um, Gourmet and. Uh, so I, I guess I was rooted in food at a very young age. And, um, I, w- when I was in college, I was a history major who focused, you know, I, my, my focuses were definitely very much around culture, um, and aspects of kind of, you know, sociocultural history. So that may may have been a natural progression for me. Um, and as you mentioned, I am a nutritionist. I, decided after a year of working in corporate America that I (laughs) did not want to do that. And, um, yeah, um, (laughs) I, um, really just, I, I sort of spent some time kind of navigating my way into an area of food, um, that fit my interest areas, kind of incorporating history and, and health. Like I don't really know when the interest in health and wellness developed, but um, again, I think I I was lucky enough to have roots from a young age of stopping at, at farmer's markets on the way to, you know, a beach vacation in Delaware every summer and experiencing really seasonal, fresh food. And my mom cooked dinner, you know, from scratch most nights of the week. So I was very lucky, um, to have that kind of upbringing and and definitely learned a lot both from my mom and from my, my grandmothers, um, and just our family kind of history is rooted in, um, in cultural and ethnic foods. I come from a Jewish, um, Eastern European background. So food is always at the forefront of the table as in many Jewish families, but, um, so I, um, after that year, right out of school, I decided to go back to graduate school and went to NYU for um, my master's in nutrition and my registered dietitian's license. And um, I was actually originally, you know, I, I sort of debated whether going to go back to culinary school or to go t- to get a nutrition degree. I was actually originally in the food studies program at NYU, but um, just kind of decided to go that route. And that was sort of my backdoor entrance into the culinary industry and, and hospitality industry.
3: Right. I was thinking when you were getting your degree or set to get it, um, did you think you would open your own restaurant one day? Was that um, a goal or that <laughs> kind of just happened?
2: <laughs> um, I think it started in manifesting itself pretty early on in grad school, um, but I didn't necessarily envision a restaurant initially. Uh, I just knew like I, I was meant to have a physical space or spaces that connected beautiful, fresh food, um, and sort of like inherent health, uh, and, or wellness. Um, but I, I didn't at at that time, this is what, like over 15 years ago, I guess, 18 years ago, um, it was very much still a non-crystallized vision and kind of still is in some ways. But um <laughs> even when I was when I was really fully manifesting nourish the cafe, which took, I don't know like probably a good five years worth of, of work before it actually opened, um, even when we when I opened it, i I didn't really even see it as a restaurant. Um, you know, I, I just saw it as a, a space, a store, a cafe. I, I didn't know what to call it. I still don't sometimes i I still sort of feel like an imposter. Um, You know, I like that silly imposter syndrome that sometimes you get. Uh, I, when I didn't, I'm a self-taught chef. I don't have formal training. I often wish I had more of it, Um, but I, you know, I have another background that I think lends itself clearly to good food and, and touches people in a very particular way. And I am grateful for that. And love to learn so i learn something every day i don't
3: know yes well well, someone who's had your food i can vouch that you're an incredible chef i I love your cooking Um, and i i you know i had visited and frequented uh, nourish when you're in the west village and and enjoyed going going there was such a special cafe what um i mean you know, and it's interesting. I think it's, it's, it's good really that you point out that you were working on this idea for five plus years. Like, I think sometimes people just think, oh, I'm going to open a restaurant and boom. Um, but you definitely put a lot of thought into it. And for people who don't know, like what, what, what was the initial concept and then how did it change over the years? Um, and also you moved into doing catering.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I, I, Grew the concept out of pretty much out of my nutrition counseling practice, um, where I had an office space, I had a a counseling and consulting practice for um, nutrition and wellness for well over a decade. Um, I mean, I guess you could still count it as ongoing. I don't know, even though I'm not formally seeing clients. But um, so I would have, you know. Count, I don't know, like I, I counseled hundreds, if not thousands, of people over those course, course of those years. And all of my conversations were rooted in the goodness of food. I never, you know, I think sometimes when you hear like healthy eating or nutrition, you, you automatically think of like bland, boring, flavorless food. And food sometimes is can be demonized in the world of healthy eating or nutrition. And that is not clearly, as you know, is not my game, is not my bag. Um, so I think I started manifesting like the vision of a space where I could bring to physicality in a brick and mortar space, the conversations I was having in my office, um, around food. And, and in that same time, I was really steeped, um, frequently working with the media around from the food side of things and the culinary side of things. And in this was well before like the big wellness trend really took off, um, you know how do you merge the idea of, of good eating, fresh, you know, feel good eating with cooking and and food and being good to yourself? And I guess I was like the precursor. I was the, the the guard of the, the um, pre prehistoric guard of wellness. Um,
3: yeah, I no, you yeah,
2: now. You know,
3: well, yeah. I was looking at the years. It was you opened in in 2012 oh, that's and. 2013 and actually
2: 2013. Um, in okay. mid-July, yeah, it's coming up on that date.
3: Um, yeah, but certainly it was, I mean, now what what exists now compared to then is is there's, it's, you were definitely ahead of the curve, I would say. <laughs> well, thank you. I'd like to think so.
2: Um, but anyway, the idea for this space was, again, ahead of the kind of curve, like for an all day cafe, I didn't even call it that at that point, because it wasn't a thing. Um, right. You know, it was a space that um, served breakfast, lunch, and dinner, really focused on seasonality and locality and telling stories um, and just really helping people connect to their food. Um, and that sort of sounds like an amorphous statement, but I think when you had my food, because of how I approach it and because of how I encourage my, my team just to see it and approach it and the flavors that were involved and in the different spices and the stories um, behind it, you know, you really did feel connected in a particular way, whether it was physically, emotionally, um, mentally, whatnot. Uh, and I was told and am still told that often, um, which is really gratifying in a way. Um, so, Uh, in terms of your question, like how did catering evolve, um, and to actually backtrack, we, it was a very tiny space. It was, uh, all prepared foods on the countertop. Um, so you would come in and you could either, either take away immediately or stay. So it's interesting to kind of see all these restaurants right now that have had to pivot during the pandemic and- and move from, you know, an all a minute type of service to um, to delivery and takeaway and, and more sort of batch cooking. I'm like, ah, oh, you know what they're going through? I know that well. Um, but uh, so that was more of the model, which is extremely challenging from a profitability standpoint, but we'll get to that more <laughs> on that later. Um, catering, I always had in the business plan, but I didn't realize it would be such a big part of it um as it became i think within like the first week or first couple days we were open we were getting catering inquiries already and um catering became i would say like 20 25 to 30 percent of the business um and probably could have been more if i had chosen to grow it that way and we had a bigger space but you know west village chinese spaces come with limitations (laughs)
3: Right. Yeah. Well, you figured it out. And you, it's, yeah, it's very true of what's happening today with everyone else trying to figure things out. Yeah. What, so what, what, well, I know, you know, I know a little about this actually. And even I read or reread last night, um, the piece that you had written on Medium about, about closing.
2: <laughs>
3: um, yeah. You know, Medium's one of these uh, on their outlet tells you how long the read is at the top. Oh, wow. it's so long, and right? it's says. It's like 15 minutes. And I was like, "Oh wow!" Because normally yeah, it's like three like minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I encourage anyone to go and, and read this article you wrote. It's it's, it's beautifully written, and it was yeah. you know it was um uh, it was heartening or uh, to read your story. But if you want to touch on a bit on you know what what was your decision to close, and and how was that experience for you?
2: Well. Let's just say I'm still working through the trauma <laughs> to this day. <laughs> uh, I can laugh about it a little more and more <laughs> each month that goes by. Um, oh, but hi, in hi. all seriousness, it was um, and in some ways still is the most traumatic thing or certainly one of the most I think I will ever go through in my entire life. Um, and I, it's, I still get, you know, choked up or very emotional when I talk about it as I am definitely am right now. Um, We, you know, it was not necessarily, it it wasn't a calculated decision by any means. Um, uh, You know, um, there were a couple of factors that ultimately made it extremely unstrategic or non-strategic to continue the business in that location. Um, Primarily the rent, you know, increases of rent over That time period which you know you expect when you sign your lease you know you can attempt to plan for that but more so the skyrocketing real estate taxes that that particular space um had to fulfill um to management and that is something that you don't know what what how big the increases will be percentage-wise each year when you sign a lease Um, so that was just extremely challenging. And um, in addition, I think the West Village has undergone a a drastic change. Not even, you know, we're not talking about the pandemic, but in general, over the past 10 to 15 years, I think, um, you know, the neighborhood and the energy changed a little bit. Uh, Not to say that we were suffering from business. We, You know, if you look at our financials, we were always doing well really well but the logistics that surround other logistics that surrounded it made it just like really unstrategic to run and grow a business in that capacity without proper funding or or operating capital which you know certainly as is, is brought to light in even bigger ways given the pandemic and what we're going through right now um you know your profit margins are razor thin so uh and i it, you know i can say I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty sharp in terms of, I don't know, in terms of how to run and build a business. And it was frustrating to me that I couldn't be more strategic because my hands were essentially tied. Um, and, and I, yes, I could have you know, figured out how to get funding to get another space, do more catering and do, and do more and more and more. But sometimes you have to step back and decide like what is actually is, is more, like, is less more. Um, but the real kind of nail in the coffin, unfortunately, for that space was the fact that we had, dare I say, crooked uh, management, um, but just a really negligent, I'll say negligent management. Um, the space, we'd always dealt um, successfully with problems that all restaurants deal with in any city and very much so in New York. Um, in terms of pests, rodents, whatnot, like that's the nature of old buildings. Um, but we, we attached to a very, very large apartment building that was really negligent in how they took care of their basement space. And we were conjoined to that basement. And after a period of time um, in late 2017 into early, uh, you know, for like half of a year or so, between construction and the closure of another restaurant space within the apartment building, we inherited just an overflow of of rodents that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't do anything about anymore. So the ultimate, you know, that was the primary reason that we had to close. We had our annual health inspection. You know, we always... Um, generally had A's. We kept, you know, you don't want to run a food business if it's not clean. Nobody wants to do that. Um, we were as clean as as could be, but when you have a problem like that, you can clean until the cows come home, you know, and then hours later in the middle of the night, everything is basically undone. So um, we unfortunately were shut down by the health department, not by our doing, obviously, and or our negligence, um, but the The way that a restaurant would then go about the path to reopening um, could take a very could take weeks. It could take months. Like you just don't know, um, and there's no guarantee. When you we couldn't fix the problem, you know. I have an amazing exterminator who is like an angel, literally. If anybody needs a great exterminator, I have this guy. <laughs> he's literally incredible, and I have statements from him in the aftermath to deal. Like there was like. Lawyers and... I mean, it was a really... Sh- it was a shit show, Sherry. Um, it sucked. And I was the only sole owner, partner, etc. So um, I don't... I didn't really have any other choice but to close because I didn't have a stash, a cushion of, of income or, you know, of revenue to pull from. And my... You know, when, when the pandemic hit, like all of these memories flooded back and I was heart- so heartbroken for countless restaurant owners that are still going through this right now, that um, I know, I know the anxiety and and the pressure and like the inability to breathe through your day, and um, because of of things that are beyond your control, and it's pretty terrible. So hopefully that answers your question. <laughs>
3: I um no I I feel so I, fe- I feel I feel I'm feeling I'm getting the you know I, it's no, so hard no. and I I'm feeling the feels and I um I, I appreciate I appreciate you sharing all this I think it's you know I think it's you know important for people to hear that you know what how I mean everyone knows the restaurant industry is hard but like it's it's I mean to have circumstances come about that you had no control over and being the reason, um, why, um, you had to close and, 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 you know, I said at the beginning, like a beloved cafe, like you, you were, you, you're cooking, what you do is beloved. And I know you've transitioned into doing, um, catering and doing, you know, different things. And I know, you know, you're, you know your, your transition and things happen, but um and I mean maybe we should segue into what's happening now. You know, touched on with the pandemic. Um, how I mean, how's it been for you over the past several months? I I know I've I know you um, collaborated with someone in Brooklyn on on a sort of pop up, um, which I think is awesome. And I'm sorry I haven't mm-hmm. been there. We'll
2: get there. <laughs> Um, The past couple of months for me have been interesting, um, I think in a strange way, because I had to figure out how to deal with anxiety and trauma and uncertainty from the closure and just, you know, not only for myself, but, you know, I love, I love my staff. I'm still very close with many of them. I think about them often. Um, And the community, you know, it was, that was the hardest part. In addition to me being completely burnt out Um, and having to push through the past couple years, like basically right after the closure, I mean, just, we closed, we were forced to close essentially overnight. I stayed open for a few days for kind of illegally. For the um, for the community and my and for my staff to kind of just you know say goodbye and everything, but um, I I was essentially forced to move right into catering. I didn't have a chance to like like we need I needed that income to pay fi- the finance financial stuff that you know you right. like I didn't have an option. You didn't have an option, so it I feel like um, and I've I've been pushing and I wanted to try to like save as much me- like if I could employ as many people as I could for my existing staff, like I I was trying to to do what I knew at the time to to do the right thing. I was, you know, um, but I think, um, you know, I just, I, I, and I had to keep pushing. And I think the pandemic for me in some small way of a, a, a silver lining or a new light, I was forced, like many of us were to really just stop. Like I haven't, you know, no one's having an events for now or in the past couple months or for likely the next six to potentially 12 months. So, um, in, a, in some way COVID has allowed me to actually start really healing. And I've done a lot of work on myself since we, since Nourish closed, um, you know, from a, a mental wellness standpoint, I, you know, I, I went through a lot and, um, and have created some really valuable um, routines and practices in my life to, to work through that. But I think the pandemic, because I, had, I was really quiet and the world was quiet, um, the way I've dealt with anxiety in the past allowed me not to be super anxious in this time period um, and to actually start healing and 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 allowing myself to recoup, like my I could feel my body going through like these waves of of like like I definitely had adrenal fatigue for a number of years, and I could feel that fatigue kind of coming rising up again in order to release itself. Um, so, anyhow, um, I think that allowed me a little slight bit of clarity in the moment. I'm still working to figure out how to pivot and what to to really do next and where to build my efforts and, you know, other aspects of what I do. Um, The pop-up that you mentioned is um, I, during the weekend that the pandemic really took off, I mean, everything the city closed down of March, March 14th, 15th, I moved into a new apartment on the 15th. In Brooklyn. Good timing. Um, I had literally perfect timing. I had been subletting for the past six months prior. It was sort of like I was determined to find the next, like, good – I needed a good energy in my life. I needed sort of like a refresh, start, and everything. And it's so interesting, like, the timing of all of this. So I'm so grateful to have been able to move in that weekend. And so I'm in a new neighborhood, and, um, you know, I – As we all were during the first few weeks or months of the pandemic, you know, where there's so much emotional, you know, emotional waves that you go through and to not be able to feed, which is or to nourish people like that's what I do. That's my nature um, was really tough. And I, I didn't have the capacity or the bandwidth at the time. And I still really don't to like do deliveries. I've been working out of my home kitchen. I haven't been able to safely really get to my production kitchen, which is on the other other side of town in Brooklyn. Um, And just financially, I I knew I needed to rest, but I still wanted to contribute to the community and see them in some way. So a a colleague and friend of mine um, had opened a small coffee shop next to her. You know, she has a a small garage space next to her apartment. She opened that on New Year's and unfortunately had to close it, obviously at the beginning of COVID. So I went to her, um, it's called IXP Coffee. I went to her and I said, Jenny, I think we should use the space to do like a weekly kind of CSA market where people can pre-order and they can con- have contactless pickup um, on, on Saturdays or one day a week, whatever it is. And um, so we were both able to feed in some capacity the community uh, and help small other small food businesses and farmers. Um, who I knew were hurting because all the restaurants were closed. So one of um, one of the farms that I'm close with, that's very dear to me, Norwich Meadows Farm, we linked up with them, and we are doing um, weekly boxes um, for pre-order, and we're about to start a summer share CSA with um, with them as well for the neighborhood. So um, you know that's it's something that I do. It's not it's not a full-time job by any means, but it. Is a, it allows me to stay connected to the community in some capacity and engage and interact and figure out like you know I think particularly the past few weeks um with all the protests and and all the, the, the long long or not long overdue but like this bigger call for change that has really I'm so grateful that it's you know it's here and it can't go away um it's allowed yeah. me to to start really envisioning and thinking, not that I wasn't before, but, you know, the importance and and the reality of connecting community through food, how powerful a tool food actually is. Um, My dad reminded me of that phrase. So I've stolen it. Food is a powerful tool. Um, And, and the concept of food equity. So uh, which is, you know, food access and and equity is, I mean, you could talk about that in the whole episode by itself or many episodes, but um, so I think the pandemic has allowed me to kind of pause for a small second, even though I, I definitely do need to be making the income sooner than later. So I'm trying to figure out basically, you know, what, what is next and how to do it. Um, But how to do it in a way that both feeds and nourishes me. And I need to take care of myself so that I can care for others, and I, and I certainly want to, um, to to weave into whatever I do next those tenets um, of community and equity and and bridging further gaps with really fresh, delicious food. Like that's never gone away. That's always been there. But um, I think there's there's room for different. Angles right now of how we do that.
3: Amazing, you said so much so many good things. I know, I'm sorry. No, (laughs) no, no, and I I love it's you know it shows the 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 amount of work you do as a as a chef restaurateur and, and just what you do and the. Uh, um, what you're used to and the fact that, you know, you're talking about this pause and slowing down and you're like, and yeah, I just, I just teamed up with a friend of mine and we're, we're we put to this thing together, this pop-up and we're doing it. Like it's a little, it's a little side hustle, but like to most oh, people, yeah, I yeah, mean, but it's like, yeah, 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 but it's, a big deal that you're doing that. I think that you put your minds together to put you know, to take some action and to do something that um, you could feed the neighborhood and help other businesses. I mean, I think it's really great. Thank you. Um, Well, I mean, I think that
2: you know, when we have there's a saying that like you have to to do nothing in order for the ideas to come. And I think that is a really big valuable statement for kind of the, the past couple of months. And I I, I know that there's going to be so much, or I hope that there's going to be so much positive change that comes out of this, Um, you know, from the people who are really stopping to think and are stopping just to, to not think so they, they can receive those ideas. Yeah, uh,
3: absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um Let me ask you my question for my last guest on episode 255. I had on Eric, Eric Adjepong. He's the chef and owner of Pinch and Plate and on the double. And he is or was a finalist on Bravo's Top Chef season 16. And he also competed on Bravo's Top Chef All Stars, which just aired. Uh, Mm -hmm. So he wants to know what has changed that you would, Keep once we get back to more normalcy after COVID is done? Is there anything you've implemented now that you will keep on in the future as you keep growing your business?
2: Um, I think just the, uh, the head states, I hope that I'm in right now um, of not, you know, I, I think... I was just pushing the pedal to the metal because I had to before. Um, and I think a lot of us were. And so that sense, you know, I think I, I, I try to do things and I, I think through my food very intentionally. I, I don't think that's a new thing, but to be able to, to self care in a bigger way is important. So again, I can care for others. Uh, we, and that goes for, you know, for all of us. Um, so yeah, I mean, I hope I, I don't really have, I have zero desire to go back to how I was having to run my life or run my business in the past because I need, you know, it's like, we just got to make that nut every month. And, and so that's what I'm trying to figure out right now.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's that's more with less. It's, it's good stuff, and that's a good yeah. answer, and I, I'm with you on it. I, you know, yeah, we have to take care of ourselves for sure. So um, let's take a little break, and we will come back and we'll play my speed round game. We'll talk a little industry news. I have a new solo dining experience, and the final question will end the show. So stay with, with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's super fruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their beautiful red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile makes them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S. grown Montmorency Tart Cherry at
3: choosecherries.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Marissa Lippert. She is a chef, nutritionist, and the founder of Nourish Kitchen and Table and of Nourish Baby. So, Marissa, it's time for my speed round game. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm gonna I'm gonna name a couple of things, and you got to pick your preference. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Eat in or eat out?
2: Uh, eat in half the time. Eat out. Half the time. <laughs> eat in. Eat in.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> But, um, <laughs> I liked I like it uh wine beer cocktail mocktail or champagne mm, wine tasting menu or a la carte a la carte small plates or large plates
2: always small plates you get a taste more
3: ah good reason communal table or chef's counter
2: ooh Uh, if I'm eating by myself well no I I gotta say both I don't know depending on where (laughs) I am chef's counter or communal table I love both I I love talking to other people and
3: yeah all right both on that how about tipping or all-inclusive charge
2: (sighs) you're asking tough questions Sherry
3: Um, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) And I have to, I have to say,
2: I give the tough answers. I say, um, in part all inclusive charge, if it's going to healthcare and benefits for the entire staff, but I also say tipping if you receive excellent, excellent service and you know, it's particularly now, our hospitality industry is hurting, so I am in full support of, of backing and promoting um, as many people and as in as as big of a way as we we can.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, I have a few more. I have okay. uh, Fire Island or the Hamptons.
2: Uh, Fire Island. <laughs>
3: Fire Island. My one time there with you. Yes, fabulous yeah. on Fire Island um mad in Copenhagen or any other culinary conference
2: oh I mean come on there's no question give me another mad let's do it let's
3: do it I'm with you on that too last two cheese plate or dessert mm, mm,
2: probably dessert unless we're unless we're in France that's <laughs> what <laughs> it's, it's
3: I mean, I totally get you on that. <laughs> and the last one is exactly uh, Manhattan. Both. How about both? <laughs> both, both. Yes. but particularly more cheese I'm, if you're French.
2: I'm in France. Of the tart actually, and Marcus is like amazing cheese. Oh uh, yeah, his cheese uh, rolling tray and then his incredible dessert. So I say both. So
3: unless, so unless you're in France or Tribeca. No, just kidding. Totally. In <laughs> Um, last one is Manhattan or Brooklyn.
2: Mm, my heart is in Manhattan and my soul is in Brooklyn.
3: Ooh. Boom. That's cool. <laughs> Boom, exactly. That's a that's a good good end of the game. I like it. Um so that's the game. You you did well. Thank you. <laughs> Um, So industry news, you know, been covering uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic, and uh, this week I just figured, uh, you know, it's a lighter article, but important stuff happened this week. Um, uh, Phase two happened, and uh, so in the New York Times, Pete Wells was back, uh, writing uh, the title of the article was, Restaurant Dining is Back, If You Can Find a Table?, um, and so Pete uh, was, this just came out yesterday, just covering um, what his first experience was going to uh, Vis- Viselka down in the East Village, um, which opened up for outdoor seating as, as of Monday, um, restaurants were allowed to, to have some alfresco dining. And, um, you know, I re- read this piece and I have to say his experience was pretty much My experience um, last night, I was biking and walking around the West Village. And I kind of had a similar thing where I was just like observing who was open, who wasn't open and trying to find a place to go. (laughs) Um, And you're in Brooklyn and I was thinking you're probably seeing the changes there.
2: Yeah. um, I mean, the the restaurant, like a, a block... And a half for me, or so two blocks from me. Um, you know, I, they just opened. They they have some in street seat, seating. Like a lot of the streets near me are closed off, which I think is is fantastic for the hospitality industry yeah. and what we're going to have to struggle through the next however many months. Um, it's I, you know I think it's a little it's quiet in, in where I am in Brooklyn and what I've seen for the most part in Manhattan. I can't really. I think maybe the Lower East Side or parts of Chinatown are, you know, are definitely still buzzing. Um, but it's, it, it's quiet and that hopefully is good for diners with tables, but it concerns me clearly for businesses and restaurants. As yeah. always told, well, I guess that's to be expected, but, you know, I think there's definitely more people out of the city right now because of the pandemic.
3: For sure. I mean, having been here this whole time, I mean, it's, it's been, it was so quiet and I agree. It is still quiet. I've been finding like down um, in the, in the West village and I haven't been over to East village that much, but those areas have more, more people out and, and things happening. I mean, you know, it was interesting because a lot of, a lot of places are still boarded up and not open yet because also the, they made this announcement. They told the restaurants that you could open up for outdoor seating like three Friday. or four days ahead. Yeah. yeah. So it was a lot of them were, weren't, I mean, they were ready, but they weren't ready. I mean, the restaurants that already did some outdoor service, um, were like, like Voselka where he, he was easy, you know, easy to set up and go. Um, uh, I found walking around, you know, is was interesting because, uh, like Via Carota had just opened up and they had a woman on the street taking names. Like they had a wait list going.
2: Oh yeah, I'm not surprised.
3: But I mean that's, great, it, that's yeah. great. It's great. I'm not either. It's a popular restaurant and but then it's also it's just the number of seats. Like yeah. even the restaurants outside have anywhere from I'd say two tables to 12, I mean, I, I as a max. Um, and I so think uh,
1: it's the domain,
3: I think Pete was also noted, like in this article saying, like, if you can get a table now, there's outdoor dining, you know? Yeah.
2: And I, and I also think, you know, it was interesting. I saw, I forget who posted it. Um, it. I saw a repost through a friend's stories this morning, just around sort of like hospitality etiquette right now, which I think is something that we really need, to consider and, um, you know, and be kind about because the days of like, I trust me, I love having a really long multi-hour dinner with friends or one friend or myself even, but with the shortage of tables and the need to recoup any income that restaurants can, it's kind of like, okay, you got to eat, have a lovely time and get the hell out of your seat so the next people can sit down. <laughs> Um, oh, I'll, I'll
3: share. I'm going to share my solo dining coming up. Of I'm going to tell you where I went, but that was me. That was exactly how I felt. Like as soon as I was done eating, there was. I saw people started to wait, and I'm like, I got to go. Like I'm not going to hog this table. Uh, um. So you you're know, right. like,
2: How do you treat your waiters, like um, or your servers rather? How how do you treat the staff? There's there needs to be certainly an increased level of just kindness and understanding and patience um, that we have for each other uh, in general, but certainly with the reopening of businesses and and all the precautionary measures that they're taking and, and just respect for one another.
3: 100%. Yeah. It's so important. I think, um, yeah, I think, I think people are excited that restaurants are open and and want to, want to eat out and support. Um, yeah. I think, um, but we have to also be cautious and, you know, take the precautions and, yeah. and also just like have, I mean, everyone should treat service people, like uh, people in the hospitality industry, like, uh, they're working so hard and it's stressful, but it's like, even now more so, like really right. everyone needs to be more, even more tuned in to just being sensitive and kindness for sure. So, um, yeah, um, well I'll segue then into my, um, my solo dining experience because, you know, I've been doing these solo dining takeout experiences, but Hey, guys, I'm back. I ate in, at a restaurant <laughs> by myself. Um, so this week, it's at Jeffrey's Grocery. All
2: right.
3: So here's, here's the rundown. Uh, 172 Waverly Place, West Village, New York City. The concept. So in COVID, um, they turned into a neighborhood grocery store for pickup and delivery. Um, previously, uh, it was just known as an American neighborhood spot. It's part of Happy Cooking Hospitality. The owner is Gabriel Stolman, and he was my guest on episode 241. So why did I dine out? Well, because this phase two started, that outdoor seating uh, permits were were given to restaurants, and uh, I was hungry. So my experience. So this was, yeah, this was last night. I was just down in the West Village, and I, I really You know i kind of like it's like make my own adventure till i figure out where i'm gonna go and i came across jeffrey's and they had they had four tables on the on the outside um and someone was getting up so i was like aha there it is so um the way they weren't doing they were doing service by um there was a counter um set up a table in the restaurant to take to-go orders and then to go i went in and ordered actually at the bar the bartender took my order and he held my credit card um and, and but said he would bring out my food once it came so um that's how they were doing things also they i i just to note you know you, there's a they, they have arrows on the floor of of the direction to walk and and you know and mm-hmm. to I, use the bathroom, like how to walk there and how to walk back, which is a new thing, like kind of directing you so there's no cross traffic. But um, the restaurant, you know, the inside was not set up, which is like all these restaurants, nothing set up inside, but they're doing service outside. So what did I get? So I had their lobster salad and that came with some North Fork potato chips. And then I got a bonus bean salad because they accidentally brought it out for me um, and then said, well, just keep it, which I'm glad they did because it was delicious. (laughs) And I had an iced tea. Um, So my take on this, this bean salad was, yeah, it was really great. It had a mixture of beans like garbanzo and butter beans and had some Calabrian chili. um, So it was a bit spicy, Um, delicious. Lobster salad was pretty much like the lobster you'd get in a lobster roll, but it was missing the roll. Um, Quite tasty. And um, yeah, it was a nice, was a nice, like lighter, lighter meal. Um, the ambiance. So I was at a, a two top on the side of the restaurant. They're located on the corner, a corner in the West Village. So it was a very charming location. I'd say it's perfect for going solo or maybe a date night. Uh, it's, they have great seafood there. They're known for their oysters and raw bar. Uh, interesting tidbit. So. When Jeffries opened, I looked up the year. It was back in 2010. Um, they had a grocery store component to it. They opened as as it was it was a, a restaurant with like a bodega, and it doesn't it didn't it didn't fly. I've heard interviews with uh, Gabriel Stillman talking about how it just didn't really work. Um, so they made it into a full service restaurant. And now it's interesting, it's gone full circle because with this pandemic, they brought back the grocery store and they have these great op- options online. I, you know, they're doing like lobster roll kits and Greek salad kits and everything. So, and also pantry. So it's pretty cool that, or interesting that that's how, how that went down for them. Um, personal fun fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I tried one of their other restaurants, Bar Sardine, and they opened a pop-up called The Corner. And I actually got a lobster roll to go there. Um, So I guess I'm just doing all lobster with Gabriel's restaurants. But um, that was great. too. What's that?
2: It's a good time of year for lobster.
3: Yeah, it is. It is seasonal. Seasonal eats. Um, Okay. So the cost was $19, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. And their website's jeffreysgrocery.com. So there you go, and yeah, it was it was interesting because I got done as I said. I was like, as soon as I finished eating, I just saw a girl. She was like eyeing my table, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. You, it's all you. <laughs> <laughs> time to leave. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, great. So, okay. So it's time for the final question. Um, I'm I'm having on a guest um, I previously had on my show. She's coming back. Uh, it's Claire Reichenbach. She's the CEO of the James Beard Foundation. Um, excited to have her on to talk about everything that's been happening since the pandemic and with the organization. So, uh, Marissa, what would you like to ask Claire?
2: Um, I love Claire. I I know her. Um, I'm curious, and I know I know that they're already thinking about this. I'm sure very deeply. But how is JBF um, in you know in terms of their future programming, how are they um, going to further amplify the culinary backstories and history, histories of BIPOC individuals, chefs, culture, food cultures, and, um, and how are they encouraging bringing a bigger voice around food equity um, in our culture to the table?
3: Yeah, that's awesome. I'll ask. I mean, that that's there. That's half, that's half the show. <laughs> Sorry, Claire. Good big question. <laughs> no, it is, but it's important. Yeah, and, and I yeah, I think we need we need to focus and talk about that stuff and and what changes are happening, which is you know, which is why I'm having her back on the show because I, exactly. I think it's it's important. Yeah. So thank you. And um thank you. I wish I wish we had, you know, I wish we had a few more hours just to, to talk more, dive into everything. Um, but
2: I you know
3: it, I can't wait. And I, I really, you know, you you've you're amazing and I, I can't wait to see whatever you're gonna do next. And I'm glad you've <laughs> had this I Yeah, I know, but I'm glad you've had this time to like reflect or whatever, to to breathe to, you know, try to, try to see whatever it is that the, the direction you want to go with, with nourish or, or something else. So. Yeah. Um, well, I look forward, regardless of
2: what it is, I look forward to feeding you very soon.
3: I can't wait. I really love your food. It's yeah. delicious. It's, it's good. For, I know it's good for me when I'm eating it and it's so tasty. So yeah. you can cook for me anytime. You got it. Done. Done. Well, thank you.
2: Cool.
3: My yeah. guest today My guest today has been Marissa Lippert. She is a chef, nutritionist, and founder of Nourish Kitchen and Table and of Nourish Baby. Her website is nourishkitchentable.com, and you can follow her on social media at Marissa Lippert, at Nourish Kitchen Table, and at Nourish Baby. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's bayerpublicrelations.com, sherrybayer.com, and allintheindustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. It is our summer membership drive at Heritage Radio Network. We are asking for your help. We are a nonprofit and rely on our listener support. So if you can um, become a member, we we would love that. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate, and we have some some great options too, such as we have these limited edition bandanas that are are great face coverings during this pandemic time. So um, you could check that out and thank you in advance for your support. Um, Tomorrow, I'm going to be doing another Instagram live at All Industry. That's June 25th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I'm going to be talking with Andrew Ridgy, who's the executive director of the New York City Hospitality Alliance, and he's been advocating on behalf of restaurants throughout this pandemic. He was actually quoted in the in the article that we talked about earlier in the show with Pete Wells um, with his efforts um, with the city and outdoor dining. I mean, he's been really active and and made a lot and been successful. So. Tomorrow's theme is hospitality and politics, and that's, again, at 3 p.m. on Instagram Live. And um, that's it. Thanks to my engineer, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Marissa. Um, I'm going to take a a little break here with doing shows. So my next show with Claire Reichenbach is going to be on Wednesday, July 15th. I hope you all stay well. Have a great fourth and um, be back then. Thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye.